0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus.
1: Well, we're so glad that you're joining us here today. I want to say hello to everyone up in uh, Port Perry and everyone in Bowenville. I want to say hello to you also. It was the middle of the summer in July, and my son uttered words that brought great joy to my heart. He asked me who the original Santa Claus was and since he was talking about Christmas and summer I knew he was my offspring. And so he looked at me and he was very intent and I got very excited when he asked me this question. So I went into this great historical lecture that there was a man named St. Nicholas and he was 20 years old when he became a pastor and he, he was known for strong preaching and he was sympathetic and pa- compassionate and he helped widows and orphans and then at 30 he became a bishop and he helped Christians during a terrible time of persecution. He helped a whole region deal with a famine and he actually helped people not get into human trafficking and he fought slavery. And so I painted this amazing picture to my son and he was like, that's amazing. And he said, "Then obviously Obviously, there are other Santa Clauses since. I said, yes. He'd seen the Tim Allen films, so he knew it was a multi-generational experience, which is fine. And then he stopped, and at six years old, he looked me deep in the face, and he said, well, you're a pastor. I said, I am. And he said, and you're sort of like a bishop. You oversee other pastors. I said, that's true. And he said, so the original guy was a pastor, and you're a pastor. Could you become Santa Claus? And I knew what he was trying to do. He said, See, this is good. You can help the poor and preach, and I can get every present I've ever wanted in my life. Sin. So, what he was trying to do in his brilliance at six was do a shortcut, a runaround to what he really wanted. And what I had to tell him was, There is no shortcuts to the Lego he wants. And what I want to say today as we gather here is there is no shortcut to what God is asking every single one of us to become. Last week, if you were with us, we were crystal clear about our vision and what God has asked this church to become and is becoming. But I today want to remind all of us also, whether you're joining us for the first time or been with us for years, that we are just as crystal clear about the mission that we have. I mean, this is why we exist. This is why we do everything that we do. It's to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. This is why C4 exists. Now, some of you in the past have asked, well, what do you mean by a follower of Jesus, let alone a fully devoted follower of Jesus? What does that really look like day in and day out at work with my family, with my friends at a restaurant? I mean, what does this look like? And of course, we're let's acknowledge it, coming from so many different places. Some of us are seekers who have not embraced the Christian faith. Others of us are skeptics and we don't believe any of this. Others of us are brand new Christians and we have really no starting point or full idea. Others of us have been walking with Jesus for years and we sort of understand. Or some of us have come from other churches, so we use different words for the same thing and it causes confusion. That is why here at C4, we built a common script So we can all keep walking together to pioneer together in the same direction with the same understanding as we personally continue to make the decision and corporately as a church make the decision to become more like Jesus, the author, pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. But we can never get ahead of ourselves. We, every single year in September and sometime sort of in May and June, we need to stop and ask again, what is a follower of Jesus, let alone a fully devoted follower of Jesus, and the very first thing that we need to wrestle down was this. We were not called Christians originally. That was an insult. We have always been called disciples, though. But disciple or discipleship has become a churchy word. But it's a profound ancient idea that even we who have done church for years don't fully comprehend the power of, especially in a Jewish context. That's why year after year, I use this quotation from Ray Vanderland. He said, like rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely, they'd start to think like their rabbi and act like their rabbi. Like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples who were devout followers, probably somewhere in their mid-teens. Gifted students would always approach a rabbi and ask, may I follow you? In effect saying, do I have what it takes to be like you, my rabbi? Now, the rabbi in that moment would either accept the student and they would become a disciple, or he'd reject the uh, request and he'd send them to pursue a trade. But Jesus did something radical that we miss. Jesus broke this pattern when he chose his own disciples. As he asked his disciples to follow him, they now knew without a doubt at the beginning of the journey that their rabbi actually believed in them already. A disciple follows the rabbi everywhere, often without knowing or asking even where they were going. He rarely would leave a rabbi's side for the fear he would miss that profound teachable moment. And the disciples, let me say it again, the disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely, they'd start to think like the rabbi and talk like the rabbi and act like the rabbi. Or as Ray Vanderland said in another book, people were so obsessed by the rabbis and were so physically close to them, they wanted to be covered in the dust of their rabbi's feet. So if we're actually going to do this for real, not play church, this isn't some cultural thing, but we are going to be disciples of Jesus, follow Jesus so closely, be like Jesus, be covered in Jesus' dust, to think like him, to act like him, then we have to keep asking this question, where can I find Jesus, find out who he is, and how can I continue to be like him and hear from him and be transformed by, by him since he's in heaven? How do I get to him? And that led this whole church to this place that we've been before, where we asked this set of questions rarely asked in church. Are there guaranteed places of encounter between everyday ordinary people like us and Jesus? If I walk in certain environments, if I do certain practices, if I'm in certain places, will I always find Jesus? Is that even a right expectation? And the Bible says to us back, yes, it is. Though God is omnipresent in all time and space, everywhere, There are places, according to the Bible, where God always comes close and always is found. Now, I know many of us have heard this time and time again, but why we will continue to preach this exact sermon week in, year in and year out is because it is critical to who we are as a church, what we're called to be as a church, and this is actually how we move to become genuine, fully devoted followers of Jesus. Without this, it will not happen. So the first question we need to ask is, where are these guaranteed places of encounter? And the first one is the actual gospel about Jesus himself. That's why Paul wrote this in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it has the power of God for salvation for anyone who believes, first for Jews, then non-Jews. The word power in Greek is where we get our modern English word dynamite from. The gospel has sheer power. It, has, it is dynamic. It is the place where the Holy Spirit brings all of God the Father's election and calling and all of Jesus' work, past, present, future, ministry, life, death, resurrection, into a normal Christian, into a life to make them a Christian by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always above, below, and around, and at the giving of the gospel. No matter if someone says yes or no, Jesus is in the room. This week, I went to go visit a neighbor of mine who's dying, who I've known for years. He's at the end of his life. He has cancer. And I sat down with him in his living room. He is uh, probably in his mid 60s, has history of the church, an altar boy, hasn't been to church for years, has Christian memory. And I said, are you ready? And he said, oh yeah, I'm ready. And he started talking about plans. I said, no, no, not that ready. Are you ready to face God? And in that moment, I pulled out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of yourself. So no one gets to boast. And I explained the profound, beautiful truth of the grace of Jesus Christ. I talked about the thief on the cross and how it doesn't matter how good you are. There is no scale when you die. It takes a savior to cover our sin. I talked about a mortgage payment. He could never pay off, but Jesus had done it. And if he would just embrace Jesus, eternal life would be given to him. And in that moment, I looked him in the eye and I said to him, have you ever heard this? And he said, no, no one has ever told me this. But let me tell you something, whether he says yes or no to our loving savior, Jesus was in that room when I gave that word. Jesus is there when the gospel is proclaimed because he's calling people home. The second place of guaranteed encounter is the Bible itself. The Bible is a guaranteed place of encounter between God and his people. The Holy Spirit is always present, always overshadowing these words. I love how Paul defines sort of the nature of scripture all scripture is God breathed and it's useful for teaching us and rebuking us and correcting us and training us in holiness and righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is more important than Shakespeare. This is more powerful than any book that is ever written. Why? Because this actually is God's word. The Holy Spirit's always about leading us into all truth. And here's the question. How do I find out who Jesus is and how he thinks and what he was like? And how do I find out what Jesus' teachings are? And where are all of God's stories and thoughts and revelations and commands and promises found? What did the early church base their life on? Right here, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit always leads us and teaches us because he's the author of this book. Oh, there might be 66 books and numerous writers, but behind them all, over thousands of years, in different cultures, in different backgrounds, there is one author. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and speak to us through and form us by the Bible. That is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth, and he's called the Spirit of Jesus. There is unity in this diversity, but you can never divorce the written word of God from the, writ- from the living word of God and his spirit, and you will never understand this book without its author but he is here when you open it. The third guaranteed place of encounter are spiritual disciplines. Some of you just tuned out. You're like, oh, here he goes again. Yes. Spiritual disciplines are the only, I use that word on purpose, only ongoing place of transformation after you've met God through Jesus. Holy habits keep your relationship healthy, right, and balanced. After you've said yes, And why does this matter? Because if Jesus is our rabbi, we want to be like Jesus. And what do we see in the life of Jesus? Jesus perpetually used spiritual disciplines to walk and listen to his father. So to be like Jesus, to be a follower of rabbi Jesus, we must actually participate in the lifestyle he shared. And this is what is so needed in so many churches. All of us know we're saved if you're a Christian and elected and predestined and loved and all of that's true. But how do you have that static, truth somewhere up in the heavens actually have effect and di- diamondism and life down here? Will you do what Jesus did? You follow in his lifestyle through discipline, simplicity, confession, prayer, fasting, service, solitude, silence. If you want to follow Jesus, these are priority, not add-ons that you choose. The fourth area of spiritual encounter is spiritual disciplines. Why? Because spiritual, sorry, spiritual gifts. Why? Because spiritual gifts are the only ongoing place of heaven-given power to actually bring the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus, as we found out in this church in the last five years, actually, even though he's the second person of the Trinity, used spiritual gifts. See, Jesus isn't just our Savior and our Lord. He's our model. And since we, as Paul calls us, are the literal body of Christ, the gifts given to Jesus by the Spirit are given to us. And so we together actually imitate Christ by using spiritual gifts. Gifts are about doing. The fruit of the Spirit is about being. You, we will not have all 21 by ourselves, but mutually together we'll have them all. But we are called to have the fruit of the Spirit. You say, well, John, what about things I was born with and things I learned? Oh, natural and learned abilities are great and can be used for the kingdom, but they are not guaranteed places of power. The Spirit of God is not showing up every single time there. But let me tell you, when you use spiritual gifts, the Spirit of God is there. Why? Because you can't use that gift without Him because it's His gift, not yours. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, and the spiritual gifts are the work of the one and same Holy Spirit, and he has distributed them to each one just as he determines. He is the gas in the car, and every time we know and use our spiritual gifts, the Spirit of God is present, and when the Spirit of God is present, so is Jesus. What's another guaranteed place of encounter? It's what we're doing at this very moment. Gathered worship. When we sing, in tune or not, We enter right into God's holy presence with all the angels and all that have already died. We actually enter into the place. The Bible says that if you did not have the covering of Jesus, you would die because of God's holiness. Actually, we're in that presence right now. Do you know that? Remember, I've taught you that this has changed how many of us approach church. When I'm driving to church now, I actually say out loud, I am about to encounter the living Jesus. I'm about to now at this moment walk into the presence of God. I prepare myself differently. Did you prepare yourself today? Whether you feel it or not, see it or not, God is among us. Why? It says in Psalm 22 3, you are holy God and you inhabit the praises of your people. You literally are hosted in our singing. It says in James, when you draw near to God he will draw near to you. Paul actually teaches us something so revolutionary. Every single Christian on earth, no matter your skin color, your gender or your background, educational level, he declares that you are the literal temple of God that has replaced the temple that used to exist in Jerusalem. The spirit of God lives in you and so When the temple gathers, the spirit is present. What did Jesus say? Where two or three gather in my name. I am with them. That's not metaphor, that's truth. Another guaranteed place of encountering God is the act of communion. Now, do we believe Jesus is in the bread or the wine or the the juice? No. But we do not believe in this church. It's just some memorial alone. Maybe you come from a tradition where it's called breaking of bread or communion or the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Eucharist. It is a place of remembrance. We proclaim Jesus' death until he comes, absolutely. But it's not just remembrance. It's not just a time where we confess our sins. Think about the word communion. Communion means what it means. To commune. With who? With each other and Jesus. When we take communion together, we are declaring it is not good that we are alone. It is not good that we are alone ever. And this meal actually reminds us we're made for relationship. And when we take communion, Jesus is hosting the meal. It's here that we declare and experience and know God's grace. Grace and peace through Jesus in the Spirit of God. The juice and the bread don't turn into anything. They're not Jesus. They're symbols that focus our attention. But let me reassure you, every time we do come forward communion in this church, Jesus is at that table. Every time we do past communion in this church, Jesus is walking up and down those aisles, meeting us, talking to us, and reminding us his mercies are new every morning and he's stronger than the darkness we committed the week before. It's gotta be more than just something. The next guaranteed place of encounter is water baptism. Oh, do we believe you get the Holy Spirit when you're water baptized, you get saved by baptism? No, we, we reject that. But do we believe Jesus by the Holy Spirit is close every time someone goes public with their faith? Oh, you bet you. Because what is baptism? Baptism is declaring an already yes, an inward work, and you're saying it outward. It's the vows and the wedding ring during a wedding ceremony. And trust me, the groom is always present when someone's about to take vows and put on wedding rings. That's why in Matthew 28, we see the summary of everything I'm saying Therefore, go and make disciples, not Christians, not converts, disciples of all nations, not just one people group. You baptize them in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, that's that rabbi thing. Oh, and surely I am with you always, what, to the very end of the age. Jesus is accessible now. The last guaranteed place of encounter is suffering for the sake of the gospel. Some of us go, well, John, like... I see people suffering around the world even this week. I don't know if you've read in China, a huge new persecution has broken out through the government and that doesn't really happen here yet. How do I relate to this? Well, let me bring something home that's common to every Christian on earth. Every single one of us is born with evil desires and every single one of us in our heart of hearts loves to do things God has said no to. Every one of us, biologically, relationally, emotionally, however you work it out, we are led and desire things that God calls sin. And every single time we make the decision to crucify our desires and say yes to the lordship of Jesus and no to what we want, in that moment we are suffering for Jesus and in that moment Jesus will meet us. Some of you have never encountered the risen Jesus closely because you never say no to sin. Suffering starts internally. Suffering is the average Christian life. But not only that, it's when we're attacked or marginalized for our walk, our belief in a culture that disagrees. This is why Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving all of us, you, an example that you should follow in his steps. Let me say this again. In our church culture that is awash with health and wealth and name and claim, Peter says this, suffering is actually a result of walking a normal Christian life. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Oh, and I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like Jesus in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Personal denial and public struggle is where we encounter Christ. The gospel, scripture, spiritual discipline, spiritual gifts, worship, communion, baptism, suffering for Jesus. Salvation's never earned by all of this. They strengthen, though, they give space for the Holy Spirit to encourage us and rebuke us. There, the Holy Spirit takes us to Jesus, and Jesus takes us to the Father. This is how we choose to walk in the dust of Jesus and to be like Jesus. But the role of personal holiness and character are critical. The power and the person that meets you when you walk into one of these environments can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Don't live in a way that contradicts what you already are and what you will be forever. Don't push down or attack or ignore Jesus' spirit within you. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, the gifts don't disappear, they just dim. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, the spiritual practices actually don't stop introducing us and providing the environment, but they become Powerless. In other words, don't grieve the one you want to go meet because the one you want to go meet in that place will be grieved if you live in a way that actually contradicts the one you want to know. Now, now we understand that a disciple is deeper and wider than a cultural agreement. Discipleship is deeper than we're just going to do this or I'm going to come in church and say no, 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 discipleship is all in. And now we know where to find the person and who we're following. So now let me just turn for a moment and for all of us at this moment across our church, let me remind you or maybe introduce you for the first time to what discipleship actually looks like here at C4. Let's once again hear the language we use so we can move forward together. One understanding, one common script to become more devoted followers of Jesus. But not just the common language. Every year we stop, like I've said in September and sometime in the spring, to in a very simple in real and honest way, personally evaluate where each of us are. Some of you are like, I'm not even sure if I'm a disciple. Others are like, where am I on the journey? Where was I last September? Where am I now? And I want you to make this needed connection that every single dimension that I'm about to mention here is based on a guaranteed place of meeting. There are five phrases we use in this church to talk about discipleship. Celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, engage in mission. Oh, we believe unashamedly in celebrating big in this church, being in big gatherings together. Early in the very Christian movement that started, we see gatherings of 3,000 and 5,000 in the temple courts. We we rally, we love, we're drawn to large gatherings just like this right now. Preaching, teaching, baptism, communion, worship, prayer, uh, financial giving, communion. We do this to encounter God and to spur us on to what we are called to become. And we see that this is a biblical understanding, whether we're excited or tired, or burnt out or wonderful. We are called to celebrate the goodness of our God and we cling to his promises. And why do we do this? Just because it's the thing to do? No, Jesus is always among us when we gather. This is a guaranteed place of meeting. But we don't just believe in gathering and celebrating big. We also, with the same intensity and the same excitement, believe in connecting small. In Acts 2.46, it says they broke bread in their homes too. Oh, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They did life together. They ate together. They shared together. They helped together. They actually knew each other. This is what we here call connect groups, a place where someone actually knows your spiritual growth and cares when a tough thing happens to you connecting small is about building authentic relationships unpacking your walk with jesus how did you understand the sermon how did it affect you it's praying and eating and learning and having fun together and supporting and caring this is critical no matter the size of church oh and why do we do it because jesus did it we we miss this all the time jesus hung around with 12 people for three years he was as committed to large gatherings as he was small why because actually he understood he was in both The third one is personally walking with Jesus. One of the great markers of our movement was being committed to what they called the apostolic teaching. Now C4, we as a church can provide connect groups and teaching and worship and serving opportunities, local, global, but we cannot force you to spend time with Jesus. I, I am not like a John Thompson at Good morning. Have you spent time with Jesus? Like it doesn't work that way. We all have to take personal responsibility for our own walk, walk with Jesus. We believe spiritual disciplines like personally reading scripture, praying, biblical meditation, solitude, silence, are critical for you and for us. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus did with his own dad. Jesus actually had this rhythm of being alone and spending time. When you regularly walk with Jesus, it's not always fire from heaven. It's not like you go into a devotional time and you're like, oh my goodness, there's Gabriel and there's shofars and there's... no." Most times it's not exciting and it's a little boring at points, but here's the point. As you prioritize time with Jesus in his word, praying, being honest with him, over time you will become a different person and you cannot give what you do not have. We want to encourage all of us to walk deeply with Jesus personally and why? Because Jesus did this with the father and if Jesus is our rabbi and we want to be covered in his dust, if he did it, we need to do it too. Share the work. We, we believe that God has uniquely given every one of us, if you're a Christian, a spiritual gift, at least one to serve his kingdom. And of course, that's the only ongoing guaranteed place to serve from. And why does this matter? Because when you serve out of your spiritual gifts and not just your learned abilities or natural abilities, you'll see more power behind your actions because the spirit is doing something you can't do by yourself. Burnout rapes will drop because actually you're doing something with a well that is deeper than you. And you also will begin to see how the church is made to function. You'll start avoiding comparisons like, well, you need to be like me or I need to be like you. He says, no, that's not how I've designed this. It's not independence or dependence. It's interdependence. Oh, and why do we do this? Because Jesus used spiritual gifts. Hmm. And if we want to follow him and be effective like him, we have to use the same gas he had, the same power source he was plugged into. The last one we use is engage in mission. One of the great definitions of the early church was marked by generosity. The early church was generous to friends and enemies. Generous by telling the good news of Jesus in their workplaces and in their homes and to religious people and non-religious people. But not just that, they were generous with their money. They were generous with their time. There was no hoarding. There was no me first. Time and money was God's first and our second. And they invested in things that ripple into eternity. Generosity is always a mark of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus and beyond giving locally we see they gave globally and that's why here too we actually have designed these things called local and global partnerships that are involved in long term life change so we actually can be involved in those things situationally and strategically and in acts 247 it, it amazingly says that the church enjoyed favor with all the people not just christians everyone why because they were profoundly generous giving money giving time sharing the good news, partnering with people who don't look like you, don't act like you, don't eat the same food that you do locally and globally. That has marked us since the beginning. Some of you, as I've just finished this, feel incredibly tired. You're like, oh, another to-do list. I'll put it in. No, this isn't a to-do list where it's sort of linear thing. I go check, 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 fully devoted. Bing, I'm in. No, this is a continuum And the reason why we've designed this is because actually this is meant to be used across a lifetime. And I'm gonna preach on this more next week, but remember this. The starting point for this is love, not duty. What did we hear 30 30 minutes ago? Jesus chose us. We didn't choose him. He loves us. And because God through Jesus has loved us and we have profoundly encountered the love of Jesus, we wanna be where he is and hang out more with him. Why? Because he is so good. Why would we not wanna do that? Now, we were trying to work really hard. How do we do this for a a large church with people, all these different backgrounds? And so we came up with this little icon, this little idea that you could have in your mind immediately. You could draw in a napkin in 15 seconds. If you could put it up, I'd like you to take a look at this. And ushers, if you get ready, please, that'd be helpful. This is a way to do a self-assessment in seconds and talk about discipleship. Now, what we're going to do at this moment is we're going to be passing out this book. And every one of us is going to get this, no matter where you're meeting us today. If you're online, by the way, you can download the app and this will be here. If you can just start passing it out, please. And what you're going to see in this booklet is a few things. Number one, in this book, the very, the second page has the promises that were actually talked about last week. And you can keep these and you can pray through these uh, as a community But then on the next two pages, which is going to be critical for us today, and we're going to do actually a homework moment right here, right now. You're getting pens. We're all ready, okay? So in this moment, we're going to have you do a self-assessment of where you think you genuinely are. By the way, don't lie. God knows everything. Okay? It's anonymous, but what you're going to do is you're going to do an evaluation in the next few minutes of where you really are in your journey with Jesus. And while they're being passed out, let me just say a few things, and it's critical. Number one, the self-assessment has a middle circle, which is you. Don't get too, you know, excited about that. You're not really the center, but you're here for this, okay? Now, along. There are five, I think, different uh, lines that go out. They're each dimension. And what we want you to do is mark how you best think you're doing. The more active you are in a discipleship dimension. So the better you're doing, the farther away you should be from the center. The less active you are in a discipleship dimension, the closer to the center you should mark the circle. So you're at the center in this evaluation. The better you're doing, the farther you go out. uh, If you're struggling or not doing well, the closer you get in. Now, it's important that you do this. We're going to take some time to do this. And then when you've done your own evaluation, then right beside it, you'll see it right on the page next to it. It says, this year I'm committing to be more fully devoted to Jesus by focusing on these two dimensions. So evaluate yourself for a moment and then choose the top two places you would like to grow in this year. And then I'm going to give you some more instructions and then we're going to pray over it. So just go ahead and do that. Take a moment and evaluate where you really are.
0: What a beautiful
1: Right. so one other thing we'd like you to do is if you look under my self-assessment uh, number one if you'd like us to follow up with you you can put your name and email down there and we'll do this but here's what we're going to do this is so important for us now you've done this assessment there's actually this is perforated we want you to tear this out and when you leave today We want you to go, there's a ballot box out in every one of our lobbies and we'd just like you to slip it in. It's anonymous, right? Your name's not on it. The reason why we're asking you to do this is because what we want to have an understanding of is where the church is doing really well as a family and maybe where we're not going so well, which will help us pray and lead into some of these areas. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be incredibly helpful to us and you can tear that, that sheet out and go out. So again, just a reminder, you've got the promises to pray back to God in this book. You've got the self-evaluation of where you think you're at and what you're committing to do. And then if you want to bring the book back next week, that would be great. We're going to talk about where we're all going to serve together. But could we end by doing this? Could we end this moment in praying? Because this is a moment where we're going to say to the living Jesus, we really need your help in these areas. And so wherever you might be, would you just close your eyes for a second? And some of you are going at this very moment, you're going, you know what? after hearing that guy talk, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a disciple at all. So your starting point isn't any of these. Your starting point is saying yes. So if you've never embraced Jesus as rabbi, but more than rabbi, as savior, as leader, as Lord, then this is how you start your discipleship journey, just like this. Just say, Lord Jesus Christ, you physically lived, you physically died, And you came back from the dead, and somehow in all of this, you conquered sin and provide a way back home. So I repent of my sin. I turn from trusting in myself or my education or my looks or another religion or spirituality, whatever it is, and I just say, I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Lord, I want you to be my rabbi. I want to follow you. I'm going to trust you for this life and the life to come. I say yes to who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for me. I start this journey now in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us who are followers of Jesus already, this is what we all need to pray. Uh, God, our Father, through Jesus by the Spirit, we've just written some stuff down. We've admitted where we think we're at, where we're close to Jesus and where we're far. And thousands of us now at this site and others have now just said, oh, I want to grow in this area. And so we just want to pray this. So if you want to open your hands to Jesus right now, maybe it's a symbol being open. We're just going to pray. So Lord Jesus, help us to grow in the areas we've marked. Really, Holy Spirit, come and do something in us that we can't do ourselves. Would each one of you just personally mention the name of the area or areas you've just said yes to? So meet us in these areas, Lord. Help us to celebrate big more often or make the decision to overcome fear or anxiety or hurt and connect small again. Help us, Lord Jesus, at this holy moment to begin to seriously walk with you personally or, or, or engage in mission or share the work. Wherever we've said yes, do this. And here's why we pray this, because we know that the more time we spend with Jesus and around Jesus in his spirit, the more we'll be like Jesus. The more Jesus is around us, the more this church will look like Jesus. The more this church looks like Jesus, the more the world will see Jesus. The more the world sees Jesus, the greater the renewal, revival, and awakening in our area. Come, Holy Spirit, meet us in our rhythms and do this thing among us. All glory be to God the Father who called us, Jesus the Son who lives for us, died for us, rose for us, prays for us, and the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to be like Jesus and guarantees us resurrection and hope. Amen, amen, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.